Welcome to the Studio 2121 podcast, a mental health and wellness podcast brought to you by Westbrook Health Services. Hey, welcome back to the Studio 2121 podcast. I am Chase Goodwin, and here today I have two veteran guests to help us celebrate the Veterans Day holiday season. I have with me Heidi Thomas, who works in our IDD department as director. Division director. Division director. Mm-hmm. And Amber Beebe. Amber, do you want to tell us about what you do with Westbrook? I am the crisis director. Division director. Your division director. Okay, I'm the division director. She's of the division director yeah, of crisis, it. and she uh, does a lot of great work. Um, so you two both, before coming to Westbrook, uh, served in the service. Do you want to talk about um, how long you were in and which branch you served for? You're up. Okay, sure. Um, so mine's really complicated because I like to keep things complicated. Um, I joined the military when I was about 21. Um, I was in the Navy, but also while I was in the Navy, I served with the Marine Corps. So what they call Field Medical Service School or FMF. Um, and then I was in the Virginia Army National Guard um, for about five years, so about 13 years total of military service. And you, Amber? Uh, for me, I just retired in May. I was in for 20 years and some change. Um, yeah, and I started out in uh, when I was, I, I believe I just turned 19 when I joined. Um, and I've been all over the place. I was stationed in Texas and Alaska and Illinois and Virginia and D.C. And I've been deployed a few times. But altogether, I believe it was uh, 20 years and five months. Well, thank you both for your service um, to start off the conversation. Um, with Veterans Day coming up, I wanted to kind of focus on um, just we have a lot of veterans that work with Westbrook. We serve a lot of veterans and provide a lot of mental health services, um, which I know people know is really desperately needed. Um, why do you think veterans are gravitating in our agency towards, because um, you guys have the board, correct? You have the Veterans Board? Correct. So we created the Veterans Committee because part of the requirement of that, it's a federal grant, um, is to reach more of the veteran population. And uh, this, at the time we started it, we had a total, and I can give you some quick fast facts sure. if you'd like to know about fast veterans facts. that we serve. Um, we had, in 2021 of January, we had 30 veterans that we served. Um, with the with the committee, with the external partners, because we also partner with West Virginia, um, or WVUP, um, their um, veteran uh, department, they uh, work with us. We've done some Facebook Live stuff with Tim Leach and uh, Darren Sherlock, who is their contact there. We have Healing Waters. Um, they're a outreach for veterans for different programs to help them with dealing with some of their stressors. And actually our board president, Sarah Holt, actually works for them. And that's how I got to kind of get to know her better. Um, and then we have partnership with the Vet Center down by the Seabock, um, which is a community-based outpatient clinic in Parkersburg, right by the Memorial Bridge. Uh, we have, um, goodness, we have so many partners. Um, we partner even with Prestera, with Valley, um, the other comprehensives, and trying to help them get theirs up and going. Um, and thankfully, the most important partner that Jason Faraby brought us, which he's amazing if, if you guys haven't met him, is um, Michelle Rivard from the VA. 
Um, she just helps, she heads up coalitions um, like ours to get that outreach. And so between all of that, um, in June, we were at 166 veterans, so over 500% change in the amount of veterans that we were serving. Um, we really were trying to get the word out. Um, and what I think is really interesting is that we have 12% of that as women. In the state of West Virginia, there's only, um, let's see, let's double check here, 5.2% of the veterans in West Virginia are female. So we're even double what the percentage of female veterans are um, statewide that we're able to serve here at Westbrook. So I, I think those are really great numbers and we'll continue to try to keep uh, the ball rolling with that. So yeah, so I think that that's part of the big part of our push is that we're just a lot of different people that we're that we are connecting with in the community who are able to help drive in some of those folks. Hey, you can get services there. And we also do our services. It doesn't matter your discharge status. One thing we're trying to get away from is if I say veteran, we go by the military definition of veteran, which means that you were honorably discharged. Um, Here's the thing, if you were dishonorably discharged, it likely had something to do with mental health or substance use issues. And therefore we're trying to help find those veterans as well because they, they deserve the help too. They just don't meet the criteria for the VA. So we're trying to help augment and offset that. Fill in those gaps and yeah. really expand the care. Because they're still yeah, our awesome. brothers and sisters. Yeah, that's awesome. And I do think it's so incredible you brought up only 5% of the veterans in West Virginia are female and I feel like that demographic is really well represented at Westbrook. Um, you and Jamie and Amber, I feel like I see more, um, or maybe the guys are just not talking about it, but I know I see a lot of uh, presence from female veterans all around Westbrook. Um, and I think that's interesting in that you guys have all been through your service and gone through the military, gone through that process, and then coming home, you sort of, pivot and decide what else you're going to do with your life. Do you want to talk about that or um, how after leaving your military service, you decided you wanted to enter into mental health and um, start working at Westbrook? I think you should go first because you have the, the closest remembering. Mine's a lot further away. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. Makes sense. I will. Okay. So, um, well, coming out of the military in itself is just a huge transition. I mean, like, especially if you've been in for 20 years, like you're, you, this is what you know, this is your life. It's and your then it's you, it is, it's your identity. And then whenever you come out of it, it's like none of that stuff is there and it's really hard to drop it. I'm still. Are you still getting used to having your, that you're called Amber? I am. I, it's so <laughs> weird to hearing Amber because it, it, it was always senior or certain BB or, you know, always my last name, BB, not Amber. So, um, yeah, when people call me that, it's, it's really weird sounding to this day. Um, but when I got out, me and my husband retired at the same time. He was actually medically retired for, um, PTSD. He served 24 years and um, he was medically retired for PTSD. And then for me, I just decided since he was going that I was going to go too. So, um, but I honestly think I got into this, this realm because of him, people like him, you know, because um, when you're, when you're in the military, a lot of times people hide that, that they got any kind of a problem. A lot of people have problems. We see a lot of things. We do a lot of things. And, you know, you have to keep all, you feel like you have to keep all of that inside. And um, 
you know, they do tell you in the military, you need to come forward. You know, we're here to help you. We're going to help you. But still on the back of your mind, you're like, okay, well, if I tell them that I have, you know, it, it, a mental health related issue, um, I'm worried that I'm going to lose my clearance. I'm going to, um, I'm going to, yeah, I'm not going to be able to carry a gun anymore. I'm not going to be able to deploy, which the rest of my coworkers are just not going to be happy with me because I'm not pulling my, my load. You know, I need to make sure that I'm picking up my slack. And so, um, so a lot of them hide it all the way until the end. And then when they get out is when they really like, that's when you really see a lot of, they, they finally go and start getting a little bit of help, but then it opens up all those compartments that you have put aside and put away for all those years. So when you see people that don't, that retire from the military and they're struggling, like they're probably dealing with things that happen throughout the course of their entire career. And they just weren't ever able to properly process and deal with it. And then when you get out of the military, everything stops because it's sheltered. in my job. It was very fast paced. I didn't have time to think about anything. But whenever you're out and you don't have to like you start thinking about all of that stuff that you went through. And then, you know, so um, and people still kind of keep that mindset. Well, I can't really say anything, but you can now you you can. I mean, you always can, but you can now. And um they're still hesitant because of the stigma and all of that stuff. So um, it's a struggle, like even in my family, you know, me and my husband both were diagnosed with PTSD because of the things that we have been through. And it's, it affects our everyday life. It affects how we um, communicate. Sometimes we're snappy with people and stuff, and it's not anything to do with them. It's just, it's just how we're, we've been affected and what we're going through. And you're just, it's difficult. You're processing 20, 20 plus years of trauma or things. You know, you got to think you're sending people over there that are babies. Um, they joined the military for the Air Force. I went through six and a half weeks of basic training and six weeks of tech school. And then I went to my first duty station. And then shortly after that, I was tasked to deploy. So I'm a baby. Yeah. And you're sending me over there and... I mean, some people are having to go outside the wire and do some things that, you know, challenges their religious beliefs and everything else. So um, it's hard. It, it really ruins their innocence. And then they come back and then maybe some of them aren't able to hang in for 20 years. So they get out and then, you know, society sees them as like this troubled person that you know just probably does a lot of drugs or you know has all these other things going on when really it's just they're kind of being tortured inside it's really traumatic it is it sounds like when you go over there you are likely going to face situations that are too very traumatic um or difficult to process and so you guys kind of focus on that mission ready state of shut down and focus on the task at hand and then only after getting out do you have this chance to kind of take in a deep breath and see a bird's eye view and process and so um it seems that that stigma of just staying in mission ready constantly for the rest of your life um that must hurt and i think it's it's something that we work to try to get past and to get people to you know open up and trust and talk through some of the the 
things that they went through. Um, and then as someone that didn't serve it, I've found those conversations can be really difficult because you also don't want to upset this person accidentally. Um, you might ask a question that to you is innocuous and like just conversational and then you'll arrive at a place that's really traumatic for them and feel a strong bit of guilt for that that's every now and again. exactly what happens sometimes, so. Yeah, it's navigating difficult conversations and trying to establish like some mutual respect um, and encourage people that if you're holding on to something and it's in the past and it's causing you pain that there's nothing wrong um, with seeking help for that. And it's nice whenever they do come in, a veteran does come in and, you know, they're kind of being a little bit troublesome, but it's nice. If for me, I'm like, I want to go in, I want to talk to them and be like, Hey, I'm, I get you. I was there too. Like I understand. And I feel like because we have that experience, that same, same kind of thing in common that people are willing to open up a little bit more, you know? So I really wish people that did come out of the military, more of them went into this field because there's a lot of their brothers and sisters out there that need help, you know, and um, they could be, you know, they could change their life. So. Well, even separate from um, working in this field, do you think how, how is mental health perceived um, broadly speaking in the military? Is it something that is talked about openly encouraged? Um, Maybe people feel that stigma early on in their careers. How do you feel about it? Well, I would say so when I got out of the military, which was <clears throat> a while ago. It's okay. Just to give an example, not even necessarily from mental health, but it will give you an idea of the attitudes. When I first got back, I hadn't had children yet. And so I went to medical and I said, look, you know, um, I'm not sure what they did over there in Iraq and Kuwait. You know, now we're learning about the burn pits, you know, with the pack back and stuff. So I'm not really sure what all was going on down there. Can I get a, phys- a medical physical? Because it's, now it's commonplace. When you come back, you have to have a physical and um, a psychological. I mean, it's, it's, it's mandatory. And at that point, the doctor actually, and I think it's also because I was female um, at the time, he was like, yeah, he wrote my record that I was being just paranoid because I wanted to have a complete physical to make sure that, you know, because you hear about, uh, during that time, I always heard about Vietnam, you know, napalm and all that stuff. So I'm like, okay, I just want to have a physical, make sure if I have kids, they're going to be cool. Like, yeah. do I need to make that decision not to have kids if I was exposed to things that I shouldn't? And um, and so it was really interesting, their attitude medically. It wasn't even, you know, that, of course, gender uh, was probably another big thing. Um, but, yeah, you you didn't do the things that would potentially get you taken off of deployment or being taken away. I mean, even just being pregnant in the military, that, oh my gosh, the amount of your peers just for pregnancy, um, oh, you did that to get out of deployment. I watched a lot of people go through that, and and they were upset because they they wanted to go on deployment, and they didn't expect to have a kid. Um, So yeah, I would say that at that time, which is around 2010, that attitude was pretty much non-existent when I got out. it was in 2003 when I asked for the, the medical exam. And, you know, interestingly, we were talking about this out in the hallway. Um, I have eczema that has resulted from my deployment. And my daughter is the only kid in the family who has really bad eczema. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that has passed on to my child. Now I still, you know, that wasn't something I wouldn't have had a kid for. But, I mean, but that, that does impact your, you know, even the future generations you have 
when you're a service member. And I think that's part of why now there's a problem with one of the way with recruitment for military is actually family members as a tradition. And that's gone down, they are seeing that's gone down significantly because a lot of service members are not encouraging their children to join the military anymore. And it's probably a lot of a lot of the stuff like like this when we're finding out, oh hey, you know, this could potentially ruin your whole life. Yeah. Or really significantly make it difficult. Your quality of life suffers when you get to a certain age. Yeah, I mean that's you see both of those attitudes, right? Like a fierce sense of pride that you accomplish something difficult that most don't and simultaneously sort of um, difficulty processing. And so I can totally see a parent's perspective of do you encourage or not encourage? Um, at the end of the day, it is two sides of that coin, right? Like it's something to be proud of and it was something that was extremely difficult and maybe parents don't have the same um attitude as they once did because we just know more better for your children so like after you've went through that and you're like in the bad things that you've you've seen like obviously you don't want your kids to see that so you're like no yeah go to college do it you know even though it's a great thing like i came from nothing I absolutely came from nothing, and I mean, I that was pretty much the only plan. I didn't know anything about school and um, going to college. Nobody in my family did, so um, the military was like a wonderful way of life for me, and it was great for my family. And honestly, there were some good things that happened with my kids. Like they just saying that um, it's very difficult for the kids to even be a, a, a military child because of all the different things and moving and and stuff like that for them. But it's also wonderful because they come out so like resilient and like just, they know how to talk to people. Like if you look at a lot of kids nowadays, they're used to typing and, and all that stuff on their phones and that's how they talk to people. And when you go and talk to them in person, they're like, "Mm, I don't really know, you know what to say, but like a military kid, mine, uh, a lot of them I know are just like they can go and talk to anybody. They can they want to be helpful to everybody. It's just they're amazing. They're amazing, but it's just it's a very hard life uh, for them. So, and I actually chose not to have a kid until I was out because of that. But the positive was all the traveling with the military. That my daughter now has more stamps in her passport than most people ever have. Yeah, you know she's been to multiple different countries. And and I attribute a lot of that curiosity um, to the military because, you know, I got to meet other peoples and, and challenge my own assumptions about things. Like I loved most of the folks that, um, pretty much all the folks like that were contractors and stuff in um, Iraq and Kuwait. My goodness, they took good, such good care of us. Yeah, they're that. like wonderful people. Absolutely. Yeah. And so you, it really expands your horizons sometimes. you. You don't really realize it, and you're like, oh, yes, you know. And hearing people say use different languages, I'm like, I don't feel uncomfortable in that in that situation. I don't think my daughter does either because we're just kind of used to traveling, and, okay, we're going to have to figure this out. And so that's been a plus. Yeah. Are there resources that are available f- specifically for families of service members? Um, so you said that well, it's difficult when children are moving around, but they can get that resiliency as a benefit. Um, are there programs provided by the military or veterans associations for services for the children when the parent is away or 
vice versa to your parents when they freak out that their child just left for the first time and is there services for them? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's tons of services and they've come a long way, I think. Um, We have the um, in the Air Force, they had the Airmen and Family um, Wellness Center. It's the Airmen and Family Readiness Center, Airmen and Family Readiness Center. And it's um, when you when you deploy they do so much for you. They will um, give, they will send somebody to your house to watch your kid while you go to the grocery store. And that might be an Air Force thing. <laughs> they do I don't it. Know what the other services do. I don't as know. Much. Like if if we're all, they have an Airman and Family Readiness Center on all of our bases, and it doesn't matter who, because we all combine now. It yeah. doesn't matter who goes to it. We still all, uh, you can all take advantage of those services yeah. if. I don't know how it is on the army, but um, but also I'm they have a stuff where rivalry. oh, yeah. <laughs> oh it's always gonna be that's the fun of it, right? But yeah. we can we can give each other a hard time, but you couldn't give. I don't want to give you a hard nobody a hard time. outside. Can I want to thank you for yeah. your service and thank you for talking on the podcast. <laughs> 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 but there's also stuff where they they do like um they have like pillowcases that they make and you can put oh. a picture of your um you and your parent that's deploying on it and stuff and then or they make little teddy bears and like the whole thing is a picture a cutout of your dad's called daddy doll or mommy doll or whatever and it's just a doll that has your your mom on it or your dad on it and stuff and then they do things like um you know the books that you can read and uh, it records your voice and stuff well they they do that when um you're overseas they'll let you um they'll set up in the base store over there and you can go in and pick out a book and then record reading it and whatever and send it to your kids so it's like you're you know giving them a bedtime story every night and stuff like that so and then just tons of stuff for um there's military child month i can't remember what month that is i want to say it's Mm -hmm. april but i mean just the entire month is just dedicated to kids and so they put on different um you know, um, activities and events and all kinds of stuff for them to take advantage of. So they definitely take care. I don't know about the other services, <laughs> but the Air Force <laughs> takes care of their people and the families. So. Now, we'll say that's the thing, too, with with Westbrook. Um, not only are we trying to get those veterans who don't meet the, the traditional sense of the word, but also we have a lot of National Guard units. And so we also not only serve the veterans or the active guard or the, you know, the regard reservist or whatever, we also, and the same thing with Army Reserve and the Air Guard, we take care of their families too um, at Westbrook. So it's not, because that's the whole, you know, holistically, right? Um, that was okay, I don't know if it is to you in the Air Force, but in the Navy, they used to always say, well, your family doesn't come in your sea bag. Well, yeah, they kind of do. Um, and so that, and I think that attitude has changed a lot over the years, but it's kind of that idea that we want to make sure that that family is still taken care of because I've been on both sides of it, and you probably have too. And I actually do think it's harder to be left behind than it is to go because I don't have to worry about home. My focus is on the mission, whereas a person at home, they're worried the whole time and, and having to take care of everything. Everything goes wrong yeah. whenever you're gone. Yeah. And they have, you have to do everything. If you got kids involved or you got the house involved, or better yet, I have somebody that's one of my classes in school, and she was saying that her husband's deployment got extended, but yet they're PCSing them in the middle of it. So she's doing the move all by herself. 
and she's like 23 years old. Wow. So like so yeah, I'm not sure why I went in that direction, but that's also some of the pieces of it, some of the struggle. Yeah. Um, you have to look at the whole veteran, and that whole veteran includes their family. Because if they're focused on their family and their family's going through stuff, they're obviously not going to be focused on the mission. So they're they do a lot of they have a lot of services to take care of the families back home while they're gone, so they don't have to worry about anything. And that did not used to be the case. Mm-mm. Thank you for tuning into the Studio Twenty One Twenty One podcast, brought to you by Westbrook Health Services. Check us out on Facebook and Instagram. You can find more of our episodes on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Music. Thanks for tuning in.